So did you read Far Sector? I read some of it, but not all of it. Was it just not doing it for you? I didn't get to finish it. There were parts that I liked and parts that I was like, eh, over. <laughs> um, but I think it was just like trying to read all of these things. And then I also sometimes write reviews for sites. So trying to read all the things at once is right. just not working. Yeah, so. no, I, I get that. It's just, I just read it like last weekend. And I thought to myself that it kind of had your thumbprints all over it. And as I was reading it, I was thinking to myself, why is it that Green Lantern seems to be such a good book? It like never seems to translate onto the screen. For sure. Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada, and you are listening to episode 272 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie-loving podcast on my movie-loving website, thematinee.ca. Your home for cinematic passion and perspective. Once in a while on this show, we go big. I mean... Largely, I like to dedicate these episodes to small films that merit discussion. Titles like Tatan, Zola, Test Pattern, that kind of thing. But I've never been above going mainstream when the occasion calls for it. There can often be a lot of merit and interwoven philosophies in the mainstream. Today's guest gets that. She's not one to shake her head at the capes and cowls just because it's pop or it's overexposed. She is the sort to say that big glossy thing that you think isn't worth your time, it has a lot more going on than you think. So I'm honored that she makes time for my little foolishness and happy that she has accepted an invite to come back on the show for the second time in 2021. We are across a wire to the west end of town today. Brittany A. Murphy is here. How are you tonight? I'm good. How are you? I'm I'm doing well. It's uh, things are good. Uh, you know, there, there's movies out there to see. Like, there's there's so many movies that I actually have to like choose what I'm seeing now. Exactly. You we know? can actually go to the theater, pick something. Yep. I'm back to too many movies, not enough time. I, I, I love it. On episode 272, we will be discussing Eternals. We'll be flipping the record over to play the other side and learning more about Britney. This is Know Your Enemy. So Brittany first appeared on the show just earlier this year, episode 251. We discussed Wonder Woman 1984. We learned on that episode that the first film she ever saw in a theater was The Lion King, the animated version from 1994. The last film she'd seen at the time was The Prince of Egypt. The worst film she's ever seen is Cats. The unseen classic or essential were the universal monster movies, Dracula, Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, that kind of thing. And the film she wished she had made was Wonder Woman from 2017, uh, directed by Patty Jenkins. So it's time for round two. Brittany Murphy, what is a film that you dig that everybody else doesn't? I was thinking about this when I got the question from you. And it was funny because my friend actually pointed out to me that I am one of those people that don't really um, hate much. I guess tacking on to the last podcast, I clearly didn't dislike Wonder Woman 1984 as much as everybody else seems to. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we were talking about this just before the show started is is a lot of the franchises and a lot of the comic books. Um, I... Kind of feel like we've gotten to this weird place where you can't just take the movie as it is. Like besides mm -hmm. the fact that a lot of them now you have to do homework. Like somebody mm -hmm. couldn't just sit down watching Wonder Woman 1984, not having seen either the first one or maybe some of those other DC movies. 
Um, you know, like that, that, that's one thing is that you can't go in just taking the story on its own. But along with that, people are coming into it with their baggage of what the franchise means, what the uh, part of cinema means, what it means to pop culture. And I feel like that checkers their opinion. So you're right. Like I liked Wonder Woman 1984 and I know you did because we've got that show. And if people are interested in listening to that, there'll be a link in the show notes for that. But yeah, I, I feel like a lot of people just wailed on that movie and I don't entirely understand why. There's just certain things like I can understand, you know, like, and we discussed this obviously on the previous podcast that, you know, we didn't say enjoy it as much as the first one, let's right. say. But I mean, at times you just have to take things as they are. Like, I thought the emotional points in it were well done. I mean, I was kind of expecting that because Patty had said that, you know, she kind of was trying to lean into the Linda Carter show, mm -hmm. which there is obviously a lot of that in 1984. Um, I mean, I guess that didn't really translate to like the current audience as much as they were hoping. Plus, I'm sure a lot of people have not seen the original TV show. Right. Um, but yeah, I feel like we're kind of in a place where no one really lets people just enjoy things and while yes, obviously like actual criticism of certain things that happen, scenes or whatever, if they're distastefully done or something, please obviously oh, yeah. critique it, bring it up. Yeah. But it's just like dumb things like, oh well, she didn't have a sword, so it sucked. I don't see what any of that really <laughs> has to do with the rest of the movie, but okay, sure. It, it's become really hard to have an honest conversation about these things. And I mean, I say that as a person who I come in usually primed to enjoy them. So I will admit that there are times where I am blind to some of the things that are not blind, but I'm willing to overlook some of the flaws <laughs> But at the same time, I can I can be honest and say, you know, we were we were talking off the beginning of the show about uh, the property of Green Lantern. That movie is terrible. I love the character and I wanted to like that movie, but that is an awful movie. It's hard. It's it's really hard to have conversations about these kinds of films on their own merits because everybody's coming coming in with a lot of baggage. So, what is the flip side of this then? What is a movie that uh, <laughs> that you dislike but everybody else seems to dig? One is a more recent film that I've seen, and okay. one was actually from last year. So I did not like Soul. Mm. I really wanted to enjoy Soul. I just thought some of the choices they made were kind of, you know, stereotypical. Like we have had a lot of movies where, you know, it's a black main character and they turn into something that's not, you know, human. So from that aspect, that was not really to my liking and not so much the actual part where he becomes like the soul mm -hmm. um it was more so when he got changed into a cat and then tina fey's character was in his body i was like that was kind of a choice um <laughs> and the other one that again a lot of people i mean i guess more people will be seeing it because it just was released today but i saw it at tiff i really did not like spencer interesting okay so um i don't think we're gonna do a whole episode about spencer but i was actually thinking about it so tell me tell me a little bit about what it was that that you weren't digging about spencer did i know the director is an interesting cat because he is known for some really, really melodramatic choices. Like this mm -hmm. is the same guy who did Jackie, which was very, very uh, capital M melodrama, which some people hate. 
uh, and some people enjoy? Um, I think it was more of that, but it's strange because I actually enjoyed Jackie and I think I would rewatch Jackie many more times before oh. I'd rewatch Spencer. I thought if I had to pick between the two, like not to you know compare too much, but I preferred um, Natalie Portman's portrayal versus Kristen Stewart's sure. um, as Diana's. Okay. Um, the accent wasn't really all there all the time for me mm-hmm. which i find sometimes kind of takes me out of movies like it's even goes with people who say you know have accents and they're trying to do like an american or british like sure. sometimes if it happens too much it just kind of takes you out of like where you're supposed to be or what you're like supposed to be focusing on there were just some choices made with comparisons made in the film that i didn't think were i feel like they were trying to be too on the nose but i feel like the comparison itself didn't really make sense um i don't know if you've seen the movie yet or not so i don't obviously want to spoil anything like i have a hunch of what i'm getting into so so feel free to go crazy so there's just like a part where they basically are kind of comparing her to anne boleyn Hmm. um so i thought that was a strange take and i was actually speaking with my friend about it and she was like i think that she wouldn't be anne boleyn i think she would have more fit into like the catherine of Aragon section just because she obviously gets divorced and things like that. And then all these bad things are happening within that. Um, and that kind of Camilla would more so be the Anne Boleyn, but she was like, obviously without the beheading. Right, <laughs> and I'm like, right. yes. But yeah, there were just some things too that I kind of found like, to, but going back to what you said about the melodramatic part of it that were done and they kind of seemed almost distasteful Mm, so i feel like that's why i didn't like it as much as other people like look wise it looked really nice it was pretty the cinematography everything going on the costuming everything from like a visual aspect looked really good it was just some of the choices made within the story that i was like "Mm." i've only seen the one trailer the one time i'm trying not to just go in with with a whole lot of expectations or anything like that but what i kind of put myself in the mindset of is this is going to be a great performance in an okay movie you know it's, mm-hmm. it's got those kinds of of marks around its around its its edges i like Kristen stewart an awful lot which is kind of crazy because if you told me i'd be saying that like <laughs> 10 years ago I, I think i might have called you nuts but i i really love her work um she's actually the kind of actor now who if she's in something i'm, I'm automatically interested but i can understand that like when you certainly when you phrase it that way and you know when i kind of look at what i'm getting into that that makes total sense so we'll have to reconvene this in a few weeks when i when i get a chance to see it and i'll i'll let you know if you were right uh britney murphy what was one of the last movies to make you cry a lot of things at tiff like make me cry so night raiders scarborough i cried a bit at tammy faye like jessica chastain was just really good like yeah Let's talk about Scarborough for a second, because I don't know if we talked about that on the TIFF uh, episode of this show, Um, but I saw that, and that was one of the highlights of the festival for me. Um, Tell people what that's about, because I kind of feel like a lot of people who listen to the show might not have heard of Scarborough. So for me, obviously, I'm not from Scarborough, but obviously us being in Toronto, we all know of Scarborough. Um, but basically, the film follows these three kids as they're going throughout their like, they're around, I guess, 
nine Mm -hmm. um, going uh, throughout their life in Scarborough and just kind of all the ups and downs and the different backgrounds. And, you know, Scarborough is a very big melding pot of like different people, um, which was, I think, reflected really well in the film. Um, It's also based off of a book. Um, If anyone is interested in reading, they should. Um, But yeah, like it's kind of, it's one of those things I find it's kind of easy to explain, but then it's hard to explain because it's one of those things you want to tell people like you have to watch it to get the full yeah. context and full shape of everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just, I thought it was really well done because even within like all the moments that have like, obviously like our sad parts, they still, you know, tapped it, tapped into the joy and everything else that, you know, kids do have and that kids experience. Um, so yeah, it was definitely my top five, like in my top five. That is a very, very lived in world. Like mm-hmm. I, I believe in the introduction, the filmmaker said that like every major city in the world has a Scarborough. Yeah. Um, it's that, you know, it's that part of town that people kind of make their comments about and the people who live there kind of just resign themselves to you know, not necessarily proudly saying I'm from that part of town, um, even though there's no reason for that, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's 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 no shame in these communities. These communities are hardworking people, um, you know, really really vibrant people. They're they're often quite close knit. Um, they just you know they're just they're communities where there's not exactly a lot of loot thrown around, um, and you get that. There's not a lot going on for these characters but they are very much there for each other. Um, even when they're not like there, there's one character in this movie who you're like, dude, you have so many problems, but yeah. still when, when his moment comes up, you feel it, you know, you feel for, for the fate of this character and those around him. Um, and, and yeah, that, I don't know about you, but that was the That was the moment that destroyed me. That was the oh no moment for me. I know people outside of Canada might have a little bit of a harder time finding it, but if you can find Scarborough, um, I'll make sure I find the um, the filmmaker's name and drop it into the show notes. It's it's a really, really great movie. Um, one of the better movies I've seen this year for sure. Brittany, in the movie of your life, who plays you? So I was thinking about this and again, I was like, I don't know who plays me. <laughs> and then I was talking to my friend and she was like, I don't know why you even have to think about it, but obviously Michelle Buteau. And I was like, huh, I could see that. I'm like, she is Jamaican as well. Well, part Jamaican as am I. She's like, yeah, sarcastic, funny. Like she's basically you. I'm like, I'm like, yep. I'm like Michelle Buteau here for it. (laughs) Uh, I remember her. I, I, I know she's in a whole bunch of stuff. I remember her for her part in always be my maybe I'm calling up pictures as we're talking here, I'm talking, I'm, I'm calling up pictures on Google image. Yeah. I, I totally see that. Yep. So I'm like, Michelle Buteau. I'm like, I like her. She's funny. I'm like, let's do it. I'm all about, I'm all about this. I, I want to see this movie. I want to see the Britney story starring Michelle Buteau. Yes. Very well done. All right. Good call. Uh, last but not least for now. And I mean, at this rate, I'm going to have you back on in June. So uh, what are you watching next? So I think my next film is either going to be, um, Encanto or Red Notice. 
What we'll is red see. notice? And Kanto, I know, but what is red notice? So red notice, um, it just had its premiere. I guess it was, I want to say it was Wednesday night, um, oh. but it's the Netflix movie with <laughs> Dwayne Johnson and um, Ryan Reynolds. My colleague requested it for me for review purposes. I still haven't got the screener. I don't know if I'll get it now since the reviews are out and they are not good. But it's one of those things where, again, I sit back and think to myself, what were people expecting going into this movie? (laughs) I'm like, it's The Rock and the same director that did Skyscraper. And like Skyscraper, okay, like, I guess not a good movie, but I mean, it's entertaining. Like, that's what most of those movies kind of are. They're not, you know, things that are going to be, you know, obviously at the Academy Awards, but it's like, you know, a mindless hour and a half of like, nonsense and fun essentially so i mean that's what i was going into it expecting so i don't know what some of the critics were expecting because i saw a lot of like ones out of five and zeros out of four and i'm just like okay we are definitely not watching this movie like going into it with like the same mindset clearly because i'm like (laughs) i would probably not give it a high rating but i'm sure it would be entertaining enough I mean, I like watching The Rock. I like watching Ryan Reynolds. Uh, Gal Gadot does what she does. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure she, I'm sure she'd be cool. Um, uh, you know, it's it's all on a sliding scale. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I'm not going to be compared. Like, if I gave Red Notice like four to five stars, it's not the same four to five stars that I give something like Promising Young Woman. Right? <laughs> you know exactly. I mean? we need to we need to really like put these things into into their own little categories. Yeah. Um, I, I I don't think I've seen a single like second of Red Notice, although it's on Netflix, isn't it? Like it's, it's I should be able to just watch it when we're done here. Uh, yeah, I think it comes out next week, next okay. Friday or something. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I I mean, Lightbox is in is in pretty good with Netflix, so I wonder if they'll show it there. Yeah. Um, you know, it it just it looks like it's going to be good, stupid fun, and you just kind of hope that it doesn't lean too hard on that second word. Yeah, okay, red notice. I, I mean, it's I. What was I when I went to see earlier this week? I went to see Last Night in Soho. Oh yes, and I saw that too. The trailer pack I got before Last Night in Soho, I actually kind of really got worried for what I was about to see because I'm like, if they think these are the kinds of trailers I want to see, what am I about to watch? Right. I got like that. That I got like the trailer for like that that 355 movie and the next Michael Bay movie. And I'm like, I, I'd forgotten that these kinds of movies <laughs> exist. Yeah. All right. Well, I do hope you enjoy red notice and I do hope you enjoy Encanto as well. Um, that you. one certainly looks a lot better. Um, but we have a big movie to talk about after this. We are going to go uh, spoiler free for most of this and then sound a spoiler gong uh, late in the proceedings. But come on back after this. It's time to talk Marvel. We got Eternals on the new slang right after this. Eternals is directed and written by Chloe Jaw. It's co-written by Ryan and Matthew Furpo and Patrick Berlay. It stars Gemma Chan, Richard Madden, Camille Nanjani, Leah McHugh, Brian Tyree Henry, Laura Ridloff, Barry Keough, 
Ma Dong Suk, Kit Harrington, Selma Hayek, and Angelina Jolie. The Eternals are immortals who were first sent to Earth 7,000 years ago to ward off bastions of evil named Deviants. They answer to a giant godlike being who is called a Celestial and his name is Erisham. Their orders are simple, protect Earth from the Deviants, don't interfere with anything else, which they do for millennia. Around the 16th century, the group defeats the last of the Deviants and scatters while they all await orders to leave the planet. Now, in a post-Thanos world, the Eternals gather again because it seems as though the Deviants have returned and an even greater threat is posed to the planet. The whole situation will push their loyalties to the brink, loyalties to their mission, and loyalties to each other. The run-up to Eternals has felt like a promissory note, a declaration that after 13 years spent chasing Infinity Stones and assembling Avengers, that Marvel Studios was ready to do something different. This hand-in-hand with Zhang Ji earlier this autumn, was a promise of something new. It came with indications that the universe was about to get a whole lot bigger, and the well was going to be dug much deeper. Whether or not that promise was kept remains to be seen. So, pop quiz hotshot. Does this film keep that promise, or is this one great big wander into the dark? I don't think it's a wander into the dark. I think they did a pretty good job with keeping almost kind of mythology story line that the Eternals are known for. I don't know if, say, the rest of the people that watch it will think the same thing um, because it is very ambitious and there is a lot going on and Mm. a lot of characters that, you know, you have to deal with. And much like a lot of these kind of ensemble movies, usually there's characters that kind of, you know, get left to the wayside. I'm sure probably when they filmed it, certain characters had a lot more scenes than we actually saw in the movie. But, you know, it was already, you know, two and a half hours almost. So clearly things got cut out of it. I personally enjoyed it, again, probably a lot more than others, (laughs) but I thought that they did a good job with, you know, trying to balance everything that came with this movie and all the baggage previously to come along with it. This has been, almost from the beginning, this has been Marvel's challenge, Mm -hmm. is audiences seem to love when we stay on earth like audiences love the kid from queens and they love the skinny guy from brooklyn and they love the billionaire because they know who they are whenever we go into space things take a real strange turn and i'm mainly looking at like the thor movies and the guardians movies the guardians movies succeed because it's a band of misfits, right? Like nobody seems to care what they do or who they're chasing because they're just watching these jokey losers joke with each other and treat each other like jerks. Thor is a different story. Like Thor, not everybody was on board with him until the third movie and everybody turned him jokey too. So whenever Marvel goes out into space, that's when they really face a challenge of keeping audiences held because it seems like their their strength is the ordinary you know their their strength is in the the kid from brooklyn or the kid from queens or the or the pilot who you know was abducted or the or the you know the criminal who can shrink whenever we go out into space and we're talking about gods basically that's when people get a little bit 
harder to, to, to keep their attention. And that's where we're at with Eternals. Um, if Marvel had tried to make this movie, geez, any time in the last 10 years, it would have tanked. And it may still. Like The, the thing is, is that the, the I, I believe the commercial success of this movie is completely irrelevant to its quality. But I don't think they really could have done something like this up until now. Marvel had plans to do Inhumans as a movie already. And they couldn't pull it off. Now, 13 years into this, to go out into space, to tell this story that takes place over centuries. I mean, it really takes place over a week. But the, um, you know, the, the landscape of these characters over centuries, I think it is making good on that plan to say, okay, you know what, we've done 20 movies or so, mostly based around these this core six group, you know, with the occasional diversion into Wakanda or into Doctor Strange. Now we want to push things out into titles that are a little bit lesser known. I think they do make good on that promise. You alluded already. You like this movie. Yes. The emotional beats worked very well for me. You know, a lot of these movies have like a lot, obviously a lot of action and set pieces, but sometimes I find myself thinking like, okay, why is this, you know, happening? It doesn't, you know, further the story. It doesn't, you know, it's not for the characters, like something for them to experience. It's just like, okay, here, like, we really like seeing New York in shambles. Let's just do it again. And, you know, it's not, it doesn't service anything. Like the greater good, the story, the characters, it's just, hey, we need something to kind of fill in time here or fill in some kind of gap. But I feel like a lot of the action in Eternals actually serves a specific purpose. Um, So that part I also liked. I enjoyed that it was not like your typical Marvel movie. In some ways, yes, because, you know, they kind of have their formula. But I feel like in terms of everything else we've seen up until now, there are 26 movies in now. um, You know, they tried to make this one more about the characters while there were funny parts i found most of them like nine out of ten times you know actually made sense versus here let me just throw this like random joke in here just you know for giggles i guess yeah um so that's part of the reason why i really liked it i also thought it was one of the best actually like visually like looking Mm -hmm. marvel movies you could really tell that all of the things were, you know, mostly shot on location versus green screen, green screen, green screen. Um, so that's why I personally enjoyed it. I thought it was an interesting take to have on these characters. Um, I mean, just the group of actors themselves were really great. Um, so yeah, that's why I liked it. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. This is this is a really good movie that I think is going to catch a lot of people off guard it is really really interested in letting these characters talk if i could kind of sum up this movie it's a lot of conversations that kind of gets broken up because a deviant is at the door you know that's a lot of the two hours and 45 minutes of this movie maybe short the last like 30 minutes but a lot like a lot of the first two hours and 15 minutes of this movie are these characters catching up 
or mid-mission kind of trying to wrap their brains around what they're doing and talking about their baggage, talking about their role, talking about their relationships with each other, only to occasionally get interrupted because some bad shit is going on outside and they've got to go deal with it. You know, that's not what you expect when you see this kind of movie or when you, when you see this kind of movie branded, like you really just think that it's going to be fighty, fighty, fighty all, all like over and over and over. And don't get me wrong. There's a lot of, there's a lot of fights in this movie. They're not exactly the most incredible action sequences. I think we, we just got spoiled with that with Zhang Ji, um, which is like, that's got just wall to wall action and some incredibly done action too. Um, but it's still, interestingly staged it's usually fun um they don't get too mired down in like pixels fighting pixels it's usually pretty quick it's not you know destruction porn like they're not out to like you say like to rip up new york city all over again um and and it's usually brief like we're, we're never in one of these fights including the last one we're never in one of these fights for very very long it's a lot more introspection about uh, things that we're going to talk about, like their their role as heroes, their relationships to each other. For me, that was a little bit unexpected. I I, I had hopes that that was what it was going to be, um, but I'm sure for a lot of people, that's going to be unexpected. Did you have uh, Did you have a favorite Eternal from the cast? So I had a few, and it's weird because I went in kind of. There was one that I uh, assumed that I would like just in general, um, but the ones that I ended up you know, them being my favorites after I left the theater were different than the ones that I thought would be the case going in. So obviously, you know, I'm a Wonder Woman stan. So Thena, obviously, I really liked her. Um, It's interesting because I saw people saying that, you know, you have Angelina Jolie. How do you not give her, I guess, as much screen time? Which I mean, fair. But I'm like, she's obviously... Angelina Jolie so she's busy so who really knows you know how much time she actually really had on set there's probably a bunch of things with her character that could have been just cut out of the movie mm-hmm. um I really liked Lauren Ridloff um as Makari I also really liked how they actually showed her speed because as we've seen from the speedsters and all these other movies, it's more of a slow motion kind of thing. Yeah. But for this, we actually got like the quick action and we saw her using this like force of her speed to like, you know, take out deviants and like, you know, everything else. So I thought that was very well done. Um, I also really liked Druig. Which is interesting because it seems like they pose him to be a real weasel. Like they almost want him to be the one you really don't like. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So by the end, I was like, no, I really like you. And I also really liked Gilgamesh. I mean, Gilgamesh and Thena are, you know, kind of a pair. So I really loved them. Right. Yeah. I, um, okay. So I, I, yeah, I, I love that. I ask if you had a favorite Eternal and you name like half the group. That's, that's great. Yeah, yeah, really, really great understanding of the question. <laughs> I love it. Uh, this, this is your podcast. I'm just here. Um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm interested. I think with a lot of them, well, a couple things with, we should say with the ones who survive, because this is a movie where there are actual stakes. Like this is a group of 10 and not all of them make it through the movie. And I, I, you know, that's the kind of thing that's not expected. 
in these kinds of movies, right? Like you, when they knock off one of the group, it's it, one, it's not usually in the first movie, let alone the fact that it's not just one of these characters that gets knocked off. But, um, you know, that that's that's the challenge for Marvel is the lack of stakes. You know, um, they they have actors signed on for multiple movies. Sequels are often announced before a movie is even released. So we know like this was my knee jerk reaction to the end of Infinity War was I'm like, there's a bunch of characters that just turned to dust that I know have movies coming up. So I don't feel that emotion they want me to feel. I know this is going to get undone. I just don't know how if they had of taken out characters that I wasn't expecting them to take out, then I, then I would have been crushed. And as we go along, oftentimes it's kind of like the, the fifth or sixth person down that tends to get taken out here. You know, the characters that go or they're, they're characters that you're attached to. And you're like, Oh wow. I didn't think I thought I had at least another movie or two out of you. Um, so there's the, that's that's one thing, and another thing is with the characters that didn't quite get as much time, like Thena and like Makari. It's like, yeah, we didn't quite get as much time with them here, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we won't get as much time with them in the future. And there will be more of these movies, one hopes. Um, that certainly seems to be where they set it up. Um, I think for me, I mean, I was not really surprised that the character that ended up being my favorite was my favorite because I went in like primed to like this person. I really latched on to uh fastos by Mm -hmm. brian tyree henry brian tyree henry anything that man does i am interested any like i don't what was what was the movie he made where he's locked out of the apartment oh yeah the outside story which is literally just a movie about him being locked out of his apartment in new york and and you know he's just broken up with with his longtime girlfriend um it's 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 wonderful um, you know, of course I, I was, I was really, I got a, a, a nice little surprise last week when we got, finally got like a little teaser that Atlanta is coming back. Um, he is just so amazing in everything he does. And the character of Fastos as this inventor, this like, you know, this person who can come up with all kinds of technology that nobody else at the, in, in the ready can even conceive of is amazing because it poses both the challenges of like you know what he can come up with versus what they need and in one really key scene you know creating something that has unintended consequences and the weight that it it holds on him the movie actually benches him for quite some time um but you you when you see why like when you when we catch up with him and we understand why he's been away from the group for as long as he has he sells every second of that as somebody who is responsible for something truly horrifying i loved everything he did i loved his relationship with his partner and his son um the way he he relates to the other eternals um i i yeah i'd watch i hope like i want every marvel movie to have a fasto scene yes i really like him too I like even in if Beale Street could talk, he's not oh, yeah. in it that much, no. but he's so good. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, this movie has a lot to say about 
the role of heroes and the responsibility of humans. Were you, were you buying that or did you think that that was just kind of skirted over? Um, I was buying it. I thought that was one of the better parts in the movie. Um, I thought, again, it showed a very interesting take because you have these beings that are, you know, thousands of years old and, you know, they're told don't interfere if they're fighting, if they're doing this, just kind of let it happen. And it's one of those things where you see a lot of movies where perhaps it's not someone who's, you know, that old, if we're talking about, you know, superhero things, but because they have, you know, these powers and because they can do these things, they're always struggling with, you know, how, why are they like this? Because they maybe are like, you know, Wonder Woman, she comes from a paradise. She has never seen people being treating each other like crap. Right. So for her, that's a weird thing that she wouldn't understand. So it's like, why should I even help these people when they act this way? But, you know, obviously not everyone is like, you know, the bad person. Um, Then you obviously have like Superman who has all these powers as well. And he still chooses to, you know, obviously help everybody. So I thought it was very interesting how they like went for the whole, should we protect them? Should we watch them? Because with a group, you obviously have people that have differing opinions. Yeah. So even the way that they highlighted how everyone was dealing with all of these kinds of complexities and these feelings, I thought was very interesting. Like you have Cersei, who is, you know, kind of the maternal one. And, you know, they point out that ever since we've come to Earth, like you've loved humans, like you've loved these people and you want to help them. But that's not necessarily the same for all of the Eternals across the board. Like, yes, they're all, you know, fighting the Deviants, but once they kind of have their split, who's to say that that's what everyone was doing? Yeah, I feel as though the movie does it really well. There's actually a really good um, Superman comic from back in the day where he's put on trial by the... I. I'm setting a record for the amount of times I'm mentioning Green Lantern in one <laughs> podcast, but by the, the Green Lantern guardians, he's put on trial by them. Um, these overseers of the universe and told that he's actually been interfering in human affairs too much that, that in saving them as often as he has saved them, he's actually doing them a disservice because they are not growing. They are not making their own choices. They are not evolving the way that they should be evolving. And he's actually become a hindrance. Now, you know, try selling that to the person who's in trouble and wants a hero to save them. I think what I love about this movie is that it's all handled as conversations. Like, you know, we, we went basically whatever it was, five-ish Avengers movies and just watch the group argue over and over and over. And it always seemed like, you know, they were never yelling, but they were always arguing with each other. It's, I don't know if it's just the fact that these characters are so much older or they've had so much time together or they're weary or what, but they always just seem to have conversations about these things. You know, whether it's Ajax saying we can't interfere, otherwise they're never going to learn, or whether it's um, Druig saying, you know, that's bullshit. We can end this. Like I can end this right now. I can just take over this whole thing and stop it from happening. Why are we letting this happen? Because it's 
what we've been told to do. And that, you know, gets into a larger issue about following orders. These characters talk about these things and, and there's no answer. Like that, that's the thing that I love. Like there is no right answer to this and they never come up with one. They just kind of resign themselves to continuing the conversation in another few hundred years. Um, this, I love that this movie includes that, you know, it doesn't have the argument that's been happening for 26 movies. It has a conversation about it and it's much more interesting for it. Um, I got to ask though, is this movie too weird? Like, so, you know, this is a movie where we have galaxy sized God that's overseeing all of this stuff. This is a movie where these really strange creature like beasts pop up and these characters have names that are sometimes hard to remember, sometimes hard to pronounce. And they've got their own shit going on. Is this, is this movie at times too weird? For me, I didn't think it was too weird because I actually enjoy when they, you know, lean more into like the comic stuff, which we've read how many comics probably between us. There Mm -hmm. is a lot of weird shit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So for me, I actually enjoyed it, but I could definitely see, you know, you know, the casual Marvel watcher who doesn't read the comics or doesn't care about comics or whatever, just going to see like a movie that, you know, they might or may not enjoy. Um, I could see that it could be a bit weird for them, especially maybe also dealing with all the different kind of, you know, jumps in times and backs back and forth that happen throughout the movie. Um, so I feel like for some people, it might be too weird, but I feel like for other people, they'd be like, yes, more weirdness. So <laughs> I feel like it toes an interesting line. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I don't think it's too weird. I think that it does it. There's a lot of things that it just doesn't want to explain. It doesn't want to explain who knows what and how they know it or who cares about who and why. Um, you know, like we get midway through this movie and we discover that Gilgamesh and um, Thena are a thing. Now, you know, are they an actual couple we don't know. We don't care. We, we know that they have a connection and they have a kinship. We don't really need the nuts and bolts of their relationship and how it's working. We, you know, we don't necessarily need to know the complete ups and downs of everybody's powers. You know, he's strong. They can change things with their mind. This guy can control thought. This guy can fly. Uh, you know, I guess maybe that's the thing is, yeah, this movie doesn't want to spell out things like powers and origin stories, but I feel like we've done so much of that, that there's no point. Exactly. I agree a hundred percent with that because especially considering like, you know, these are supposed to be godlike beings, I guess you would kind of just assume that, you know, they're probably just born knowing how to do most of these things anyway. So what's really the point of wasting time? And to your point, we've had how many origin stories where they deal with these kinds of things. I feel like if anything, with a movie that's already longer, that would just would have bogged everything down. The the relationship that gets the most amount of time and attention is Icarus and Cersei, but there's other ones in it. Like I already mentioned Gilgamesh and Tina, you know, there's also a lot of talk of Sprite and her feelings towards Icarus. Do you, do you think that these things 
in the end add up or that we really should have seen a little bit more of these relationships fleshed out? Um, I would have liked to have seen certain ones fleshed out a little bit more. Um, As you just mentioned, the Sprite and Icarus one, we never really see them together for that long. Yeah. It was kind of this, I don't know if, again, weird is like not the right word because again, as I just said, lots of weirdness in comics and stuff. So that part is fine. It's sold short, I think is what you're going for. Exactly. They They use the analogy of Peter Pan. Mm-hmm. And how Icarus is Peter and Cersei is Wendy. The rest of them are all the Lost Boys. And Sprite happens to be Tinkerbell, who cares so much about Peter but can't have him. Okay, so I get it because I've read Peter Pan because I'm a, you know I'm a, I've, I've, I'm a human being, but we don't actually really see that play out. Like when we when we really spend time with Sprite, she's more at the hip of cersei than she is at icarus so i kind of wonder like that's if i was to go back over this that is one thing that i would say i I feel like that's a cheat i feel like you you gave me the analogy and i understand it but i don't feel like you necessarily showed me that right i thought it would would probably have been different if say instead of her being attached to cersei like from when we first kind of see her yeah um, when they're in like modern time um that maybe if she had shown up when icarus showed up then that would have made more sense because you would have just assumed that okay obviously when they you know parted ways they were like a team together yeah. and obviously cersei was off on her own then you had all the other characters that were either paired off or by themselves or whatever they were doing I feel like it would have made more sense to kind of attach those two together. So it would kind of, it wouldn't have been, I guess, even if we didn't see it, like it wouldn't have been such a cheat. Yeah. It's, it's funny because I'm willing to go with it. Same thing as like when we, when we catch up with Thena and Gilgamesh, I'm willing to go with it just because of the tone of this movie and the, the way these characters, the way these actors embody their characters. I'm willing to kind of fill in a few blanks, but a lesser movie and lesser actors and a lesser director, these would have been some very, very serious gaps. When Chloe Zhao made this movie. Is this an Academy Award winner? Chloe Zhao made this movie. Um, is this for you? Would you say this is another case of a higher gun or did you actually see her influence in this movie? I think I actually saw her influence in this movie more so than I've seen with some of the past MCU films. I actually thought that this was more a Chloe Zhao movie than like a regular kind of MCU movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, like visually speaking, I already mentioned before, like the visuals had Chloe Zhao all over them. Like even just the instances where it was kind of the sun in the background, like radiating like around kind of whoever was in the shot. She has a lot of shots like that in some of her other movies, which I I think they're really pretty. They look very nice. Um, so yeah, I really feel like this is definitely a Chloe Zhao movie, not so much a you know typical MCU. Here it's packaged. We just need someone to direct it, and that's it, kind of thing. You can definitely tell based on you know the conversations that are had versus the action. Like all of the conversations, all of the feelings and relationships, for the most part, 
take a front seat versus most of the other ones, the action is what takes the front seat. Chloe Zhao's movies, The Rider, Nomadland, Songs My Brother Taught Me, they're all about bittersweet stories that are tempered with regrets. Um, not always like a deep amount of regrets, but just what if I'd gone, what if I'd gone left instead of right? Um, this is another one of those stories. Just like you say, it happens to be about gods. Um, the look of this is very much like you say, cut the same from the very same cloth of the rider and Nomadland, um, maybe a little bit more than songs my brother taught me just because now she gets to work with bigger, better toys. Um, but you're right. Like we know that she took her crew and they went out into the real world. Um, you know, obviously those shots that take place at the beach at sunset, like that is like clearly front and center in terms of what can be achieved in these movies when you get outside of the studios. But I mean, also, like, I was even thinking about scenes like, you know, like scenes like the ones where they're in the canyons and it's just them holding hands, mm-hmm. you know, like that kind of thing. I mean, it doesn't hurt that it's another movie that has a scene in South Dakota. She seems to manage to get all of her movies up into that state. Um, but even just, you know, when we're when we're watching Fastos and his partner like talk in in the suburb neighborhood, like she makes a subdivision look fabulous. You know, and this is this is all she brought this project to Marvel. Like Marvel didn't have this on their roster and go hunting for a director the same way they did with Black Panther and Captain Marvel and Ant-Man and a lot of these other projects that they lined up and said, we're going to put these into the hands of a, of a storyteller. She took this to them. And I think you can see that in the storytelling top to bottom. For sure. It was, again, one of the best looking Marvel movies. I mean, probably the best looking one we've had so far. And as I said earlier, we're 26 movies in now. So um, I really hope that, you know, because I mean, the critics, I guess, are not, you know, all in with this, but based on the fan reaction, for the most part, people seem to be enjoying it. So I really hope that we get another movie, another Chloe Zhao, Eternals movie. It's what we deserve. <laughs> I'm just speaking it out into the universe now. Hopefully the universe hears me. Um, because even the scene where they're in Australia and they're meeting up with Gilgamesh and Thena and they're all sitting around the table, it actually reminded me of that scene in Nomadland mm-hmm. where they're all, you know, gathered and eating um because obviously we all know food definitely brings people together um so just like some of the things like that that i feel like perhaps while you're watching a movie because it's i guess such a regular thing but it's like these gods are doing this regular thing as well so even just kind of small things like that that we would probably take for granted just it was nice to like see something like that I don't know what this is going to mean for for the studio or for her career. I just think to myself that she got herself a nice little payday and she'll be able to make she'll be able to do whatever she wants. That's that's the one thing that I'm really enjoying seeing with the independent filmmakers going and playing in with the with the with the studios is you know what? They get their money and they can do whatever the heck they want. Case in point Nomadland. Like Nomadland was made with Eternals money. 
And they happen to come out in the other order just because of pandemic. But there is a case in point of a movie that has, you know, got a whole bunch of acclaim, got an award, got her even more credits and even more, you know, like even more rope for whatever she wants to do with her career, along with this great big huge paycheck that, you know, based on the success of this movie, she may get to go back and do more if she wants. We have really been talking up this movie quite a bit, but was there was there any like really big flaws for you in this movie that stuck out or something that like if you could go back and kind of play one thing or change one thing that you would? Yeah, I don't know necessarily if I would say that it's like, you know, oh, there's all these like flaws kind of. But I think basically it's the point that you touched on earlier. There's a few things where, I mean, you have like a two and a half hour movie. There would have been certain things that I would have preferred to see, I guess, more of. um, And some other things I would have, you know, wanted to see less of. Um, in terms of like, you know, characters that say we spend time with or even things that we learned throughout the movie. There's a few things, and I guess one of them we'll probably talk about when we get into the, you know, kind of spoiler section, um, that I feel like it would have been interesting to kind of follow one of those specific Eternals, just, you know, in an off to the side kind of way. Even with like Thena and like her trauma, like it would have been interesting to kind of focus on those things. And again, who's to say like, you know, Marvel is out here doing all of their shows too. Like maybe there will be like a Thena and Gil like show, like a kind of prequel thing. Who knows? The main flaws for me were just kind of where we spent more time and who we spent more time on because even though I went into this movie, like based on the trailer, I tried to, I think I only watched the very first one. I knew that obviously kind of out of all the Eternals that, you know, Cersei and Icarus are the, you know, main yeah. one. So yeah. I obviously knew we would be spending a lot of time with them, but I feel like in general, I wasn't as invested in them as I was in some of the others. So I feel like maybe that's where that's coming from. Yeah. But I, yeah, yeah. I, I I agree. Like this group, this group of ten, like it's it's a pretty big group. Like we're usually used to more groups of five or six, but when you get ten personalities in there, and they are very like they're all really interesting in their own right. Besides the fact that they're immortal, they can all do these really cool things and have really warm personalities. Like I mean. You know, on paper, Gilgamesh is basically a blunt instrument. Like he's basically there because he can punch. But then when we find, when we catch up with him and we find him, we find that he likes, he enjoys his role as a caretaker. And, and, you know, just not only with his partner, but with the group as a whole. Like that is a really, really interesting thing. I could very easily spend half an hour with all 10 of these people. Uh, there's just, there's no damn time. Before we get into into spoilers, the one last thing that I want to ask you about is there has been a lot made about this film's attention to representation, not only in terms of the actual casting that we have cast members of color and that we have, you know, one cast member who is actually hearing impaired, um, but that they're like one of the, one of the, main characters is homosexual and we see like the nature of his relationship for you is the representation in this movie well handled or do you think it was really just lip service i actually think it was well handled especially 
considering some of the past, you know, Marvel movies. I remember when, I guess it was when Endgame came out, they were talking about, oh, Marvel, like Marvel's first like gay character. And it was one of the Russo brothers um, when Cap was doing the kind of, I guess, almost like the group therapy. And he mentions like, oh, like I went out on my first date since, you know, my husband vanished or disappeared or whatever. But the way that, you know, places were going about, it was like, ooh, Marvel's first, you know, gay character. And I'm just like, that's pretty hollow if that's what, you know, you're looking for. So I feel like with the Eternals, I don't know if it was Chloe, I don't know who, but they were just like, we're doing this, we're showing this, like we want representation of what, you know, the world actually looks like in whatever shapes and forms that it comes in. So I actually thought that it was refreshing to see. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know who to give the credit to or or necessarily like who to who to lay the blame at. So I just want to say like this production, they're going down the right road in terms of how they can now look and see just because a character is drawn one way doesn't necessarily mean that we need to cast it that way. I do think the casting of Lauren Ridloff is really important because they very easily could have given that part, um, not just to any old woman of color, but they could have given that part to any actor and said, you need to learn sign language to do this. Mm -hmm. I think that casting an actor who, I mean, happens to be a woman of color, that's a great bonus, but is hearing impaired. And, you know, I think that that's really important because again, we're getting deeper and deeper down this road of, there will be children who see themselves in these movies. There will be deaf children who see a superhero, you know, using ASL to communicate. And it's not just lip service. Yeah. 100%. Cool. Okay. We are now going to enter a spoiler section because there's some stuff at the end of this movie that we really want to talk about. So if you haven't seen Eternals, uh, turn back here. I mean, we're, we're obviously both kind of coming down on the side that we think you should see this movie. Um, so to kind of like get to the, 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 the rating, um, I think we're both obviously in favor of this movie, but, uh, you know, turn back if you haven't, because we are going to spoil the holy hell out of the end of Eternals right after this. So Icarus is a traitor. Yeah. <laughs> yep. yep. That's uh that's a neat turn that kind of colors things, I think. I wasn't expecting it at first, but then there was kind of like hints. So I've watched it twice already. So I had the press screening and then I had tickets for the like fan screening. Right. Um, So there were kind of things that I kind of noticed the second time around that I, you know, because I was trying to focus on, okay, I have to review this movie um, the first time. But even when he first kind of shows up and he's, you know, dressed in the dark clothing and stuff, I'm like, I mean, in other movies, that's, you know, kind of definitely like foreshadowing. So I was like, "Uh, yes, I'm like, I see it now. And even some of the things like when they were talking, and I guess too, it kind of plays with his character. He's not very outwardly emotional. So that kind of worked in his favor. 
But there are just a few kind of things where any, you know, at least some of the other Eternals would have reacted a lot differently or a lot better. And he was just kind of like, you know, deadpan, like not really a reaction. I'm just like, I see you, sir. I see you. Um, So yeah, it was an interesting turn that I didn't expect the first go round. Um, But I enjoyed how they showed it and how the other Eternals reacted to it once they found out. I think it's a really great move because the film is so clearly setting him up as like the golden boy, right? Like the, the, the fact that he tends to be front and center in most of the positioning of the group in most of the promotion of the group, you know, he, he kind of seems like their leader. If they have one, like this group doesn't entirely have one, like they, they kind of treat him that way, but you know, to, to look at their whole, dynamic they don't actually have somebody who calls the orders they're that's part of the thing is their their orders are handled by this celestial um so to have him say you know no i was the one who i I did this and i'm doing this and we're not we're not going to stop this from happening because it is important um neat trick um i i didn't see it coming you know like now now as you say like when i see the movie subsequently i'll probably be able to see the clues and looking back like it makes sense it's not like a huge turn on its head but it's i believe it's well earned and it fits in with this theme of whether or not to interfere and whether or not to follow orders right because they're told this emergence is not Uh, a catastrophe that you were there to stop this is something that you were actually there to facilitate happening and the rest of the group like the other eight at that point are all saying no we can't let this happen like we're all we've all we've been here for millennia we don't want to let this planet just die and he's like no that's what we're here to do it's 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 a neat it's a neat turn. Um, I think Madden does does it pretty well. He doesn't go too crazy with it. He doesn't play it too stoic either. Um, the rest of them all react pretty well. Um, it's you know it's it's not played as this. It's not really played as this huge rug pull. You know, mm-hmm. it's just basically played as this one member of our team has gone rogue. The one the reaction out of it that I enjoyed the most, which was what I was kind of alluding to before, was Kumail Nanjiani's Kingo. Because, you know, he obviously, you know, when they kind of are talking about it, a lot of times there's like, oh, well, why did Ajax kind of choose Cersei as the leader? Like, she's not the strongest. Icarus is the strongest, etc. Um, and he kind of points that out. Like, he says, like, you know, like, to Icarus at one point before the reveal like I'm with you kind of till the end wherever you know the end leads us um but I thought it was interesting that when you know obviously they go their separate ways once again based on Icarus's traitorousness that he kind of reveals too that he kind of agrees like you know how we shouldn't have a say like why are we the ones stopping a celestial from being born like we have no right to do that but instead of going about it in you know a kind of militaristic icarus type way he's just like we're still a family i might not agree with what you are doing i also don't 100 percent agree 
with how he's going to handle it. But I do agree with his point about us not interfering with the celestial being born, but I don't want to hurt any of you. So I'm just going to remove myself from the situation. So I thought it would have been kind of interesting to kind of follow him because we don't see him again until, you know, towards after the whole like celestial situation has occurred. Um, So I thought that was a very interesting take because it really is, you know, a family dynamic. Not all families get along all the time. Not everyone has the same opinions or anything. So I thought it was really well done. Yeah, it's it's funny, actually. That was one of my kind of head scratches about the whole movie is I understood that Kingo want like he was saying i'm not picking a side here like i understand what you're saying and i understand what he's saying and i can't i can't and don't want to choose between you so i'm i'm just gonna peace out the thing that i thought was interesting was that he's just able to walk like he just walks off and nobody says boo and there's there's it's like you know you know kingo gonna kingo that was the part for me that i was like whoa hold on a second here you know i i was half expecting him to turn back up in that final fight on the beach in some capacity that he had like some sort of come to Jesus moment and decided that, no, he has to choose a side because this is right or this is wrong or whatever it happens to be. I didn't expect him to be completely out of it until, you know, this, this epilogue at the end where everybody gets back to where they need to go. That is one thing that I would say, like for, for the film, I found surprising and it didn't really work that, that this, this one character who's been so present, like, you know, because he's kind of the comic relief of the movie um, in a really well-handled way. Like he's not too much of a smart ass. He's just being himself. Um, And he's got this Porter with him, this valet who also does this great job of adding levity. That, that to me is, I think what makes this movie work is it knows that you can't get too heavy. With this stuff, you can't treat the end of the world like the end of the world. You need somebody joking about cell phone service and how many cameras they happen to have on them. Otherwise, we're all just going to glaze over. But then he just like exits stage left and everybody's cool with it. I mean, that was the one part was like, wait, what? Icarus turning. I was totally on board with and thought that was a neat move. Kingo walking off. I was like, "Uh, I don't know about that. Yeah, I wish we could have like followed him. Like, what was he doing? What was going on in the moment where, you know, they're connected to the celestial and everything? We see everyone, like, did that still happen to him, even though he wasn't actually like in the vicinity? Because I mean, he is still an eternal. So was he, was Karun videoing him just floating there, connecting? (laughs) Like, like all of these things were in my mind. So I'm like, I thought it was interesting that, you know, he said what he said and did what he did, but that like, we didn't really see him after. So I'm just like, could we just follow him? Yeah. If this was a comic book, there would be like a whole issue just dedicated to him. Exactly. So, and I mean, I think the other thing that I like about this movie is Marvel has a tendency to end their stories with one great big smash bang. Well, there is a skirmish at the end of this movie it's not the great big smash bang that we come to um, expect after, you know, the various Avengers movies and after like Thor movies where a whole island is just laid to waste. Um, I felt like the action and the beats and the story and, and the, the emotional crux of that final scene is really handled well. It's still a fight, 
but it's not just God slapping the shit out of each other. I really feel like that is where there's some very clear storytelling and some very clear attention paid to everything we've just laid down needing to be picked back up. I noticed that as well. And again, I feel like it goes back to kind of like, you know, the theme of family. Like, yeah, we fight with our families, our loved ones. But at the end of the day, if we were in a position like this, would we really beat the shit out of them? Yeah. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. Um, but I did think that, you know, it was interesting to kind of see the dynamics because even though they were a f- like a family, there were still, you could tell like Fastos, for example, Thena, they obviously felt a specific kind of way, whether it was like that way the whole time, whether it happened once they all split apart or once it happened after it was revealed that he like was basically the bad guy. Um, you know, they still wanted to fight him. You even had that one moment where Fastos was like, oh, I've wanted to clip your wings. Thena also said like, He's like, oh, you can't fight me, and then she's like, oh, but I've always wanted to. Yeah. So it just like those Fastos kinds even of like boss, which I mean, like that that has layers. That's yeah. that, that's really good. Exactly. Um, it's it's really well handled. I think the movie kind of seems to be setting them up to have to to all be challenging Druig, really. Mm-hmm. So to have this pivot and have Druig be on the right side of presumably the right side of this, and, and it still feel earned, is a really great move. We, uh, you know, there's there's other stuff at the very end of this movie, but we're going to leave that as a surprise for you folks. Uh, I assume if you've come this far, you're hearing it. Uh, you, you've already seen it. Um, maybe you enjoy that, those kinds of things. Maybe you don't. That's that's a whole other conversation for a whole other day. We end the matinee cast with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible. If you can take away from this movie and keep, you would. Uh, Brittany Murphy, what would be your souvenir from the from Eternals? Um, I liked Thena's, um, headpiece. Oh yeah. I don't know if you would call it a tiara, but the headpiece. Yeah. Diadem. It was really nice. Would keep that for sure. I mean, the costumes were also really nice. So right. Maybe right. You I, could I love get the design. Of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love the, like, yeah, the, this, they all like the whole look of this movie, like everything that they use, everything that they wear, it's all really, really carefully chosen. I did. I, I really did like a lot of that thing. I'm, I'm sure at a certain point, you're going to be able to buy that diet of, off of some sort of fan site. It's going to, you know, it's going to, it's going to be on there for you to, for you to cosplay to your heart's content. Um, I think for me, the souvenir is I want a pint of that, that Gilgamesh beer. The, oh, the, yes. the, the, the grinds that he ferments in his own saliva. Yeah. <laughs> it's I mean, I don't need to know how it was made, but it seemed like it was delicious. The, the, the first few sips he he seemed to be enjoying before he found out how it was made. It's kind of like hot dogs in that way, right? Exactly. So, that's the thing. I want Gilgamesh like his his food all looked amazing. Like I think the the moment that almost made me cry in this movie is when, when he drops the pie, like oh. the the top of the pie and all the filling just kind of fall into the dirt and I'm like, "Oh, that's just a shame." Like, that's, that's all just going to wait right there. That that made me misty for sure behind my 3D, 3D glasses. We rate here on the Matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars. Brittany Murphy, what do you give Chloe Jaws Eternals from Marvel Studios on a scale of one to four? I would give it a three and a half for me. Yeah. Me too. It's You know, it's funny. I don't think I've ever given a Marvel movie four stars. Um, 
just because even the ones that I do eventually come to absolutely adore, it takes me like a little while just to kind of burn in a few things. So it's like, if, if they're really, really good, my initial reaction is three and a half. Um, hey, maybe you think that we're underselling this movie and it's a modern masterpiece, or maybe you're one of the people who hate it. Um, and you think that we're being far too kind. Let me know. Ryan at the matinee.ca, Twitter, I am matinee underscore CA, or facebook.com slash dark matinee. What do you think of Marvel's Eternals by Chloe Zhao? We are going to take a very quick break and um, talk about some more movies after this. So come on back. We're going to flip the record over and play the other side. back she's Brittany murphy i'm ryan mcneil it's matinee cast 272 we've been talking about eternals uh this is the other side it's the part of the show where we go further down the spiral we recommend some further reading further viewing that goes along with our main movie um Brittany, why don't you get us started what is a movie that you think that people could go on to that would work well as a double feature uh with eternals so the first one i would give is um watchmen Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I know, obviously, there's people that do not like how the movie (laughs) was handled and stuff. But I think thematically, like, you know, you have this group of, you know, heroes, but some of them definitely aren't heroic. They, you know, go their own separate ways. Some of them have to come back together. You have the one who is the traitor. Like, a lot of the pieces kind of fit together. Yeah. Um, So, like, thematically and based on things that happen, I think Watchmen might be an interesting one to pair with Eternals. I'm with you. I mean, that's another movie where there's a lot more talk than there is action. So Mm -hmm. they've got that in common. Um, Certainly story-wise, where superheroes are concerned, that's kind of the story. You know, like anybody who's getting into comic books and wants to take it a little more seriously, that's usually the one that people like you and I would point them towards as a start with this because it's got a lot more going on than just the world is going to end. I don't hate it. Um, I, I know that it's got a lot of haters. I don't hate that movie. It was weird when it came out because that movie came out in the spring of 2009 and it was kind of hot on the heels of this renaissance of comic book movies. Like you'd had Iron Man the the, the summer before and you'd had the Dark Knight the summer before and the whole genre just seemed to be poised to really blow up. And then Watchmen was kind of dropped into the next phase of that and people really didn't know what to expect. And it's like, what do you mean the superheroes are stupping in a spaceship? You know, like that kind of, it was, it was very, very strange for people to accept. There's two things I really don't like about Zack Snyder movies. People can take or leave anything else that they want, but there's two things I can't stand. The man is far too into his slow-mo and that's in this movie. And his soundtracks are wholly unoriginal. Like there are these movies. The one thing I, I always notice about these movies is his movies seem to get a lot of money for, for soundtrack selections. So he gets to pick any old song he wants and, or, or his soundtrack supervisor gets to choose any old song they want. And they always pick like the most on the nose songs every time. So that, those are the two things with, with Watchmen that I was really, really 
uh, distraught with is there's a lot of slow-mo in that movie and there's a lot of really obvious soundtrack choices. Beyond that, um, there's actually a lot I really enjoy about that movie. I, I would like it more if I didn't think it had been now bested by the HBO show. Like I think the HBO show really, it's another story. It's not the same story, but I think it really kind of cuts to the core of things better um, mm-hmm. than, than, the, than the movie does. But you're right. Like that, that takes, that takes the genre into the weird place, into the more esoteric place. They'd make a really good double feature. You're right. Well, sticking with that kind of end of things, my choice goes back to 2006. I think it's a film we've talked about on this show before. Um, Darren Aronofsky, uh, Hugh Jackman movie, The Fountain. Did you ever see this one? I have, but it has been so long that I, yeah, (laughs) other Um, than Hugh Jackman and Rachel Weisz, I, everything else, I'm just like, there's a flying tree. It's another weird movie. It's another movie that I don't, I don't think anybody who sat, sits down to watch it expects what they get. It's, It's another movie about a long passage of time. And in this case, we have three separate narratives that all kind of link together in in a weird way um it's another movie that is very very handsome and isn't necessarily concerned with connecting all of the dots that that's the thing is like i think i think eternals is completely confident leaving stuff you know in pages that are torn out of the book fountain is the same sort of thing fountain is like you know there was the Spanish guy and then there was this doctor and his wife and now he's in the future. And we're not necessarily going to tell you everything. We're going to tell you a lot of this stuff, but we're not going to tell you everything. And you just got a deal. Eternals, Eternals is very much the same sort of way. You know, so I think that they could make a double, a good double feature. I think a lot of people would hate that double feature, but <laughs> I, I, you know, I have like five people who'd be really into it and we'd have a great time. So that would be my first choice for another side. Uh, you said you had a, another comic book movie to go along with this one. This one, I guess kind of would more so tie into like the family kind of aspect of things. You could pick one out of the franchise, really. Obviously there are ones better than others, but I feel like, x-men and eternals kind of would go together a lot of the things in x-men deal with kind of the morality of the situation like you know what are we doing then you have like druid can control literally every mind on the planet as can professor x and we've seen in x-men 2 what's a power like that can do like in the wrong hands essentially the x-men films are an interesting conversation all to themselves like i feel Mm -hmm. like i feel like that could be a podcast series unto itself and who knows maybe one of these days you and i will do that um next time i'm looking for a project we'll we'll do a little like 10 or 12 episode run of just talking about the fox x-men movies because they're so tonally fluid like there's Mm -hmm. sometimes where they see like along with the fact that they're constantly dealing with varying opinions on how to solve a problem often on the same side sometimes on on either side of the line but they're so tonally different from movie to movie to movie because of what was happening on the movie going landscape like those first three are kind of one approach Mm -hmm. and then those second three are a whole other approach because the genre caught up and became this beast. Um, the Wolverine movies are their own animal because they're all a side tangent to this 
you know, main road that we were on. And, you know, you get, and then the whole thing flames out at the end with dark Phoenix that was almost abandoned and new mutants that basically was abandoned um, to say nothing of the fact that in the middle of all this, you have Deadpool as well. Um, It's, it's such those movies that were made by Fox studios they they're they're an interesting microcosm unto themselves and when you compare them to eternals where everything is just so deeply thought out um either by jaw or by marvel or both you know everything seems to be considered and informed by a different path before it it don't like i'd almost love to to show those movies back to back like pick one of the x-men movies and pick the Eternals and show, and show them back to back and have a conversation in between them saying, okay, so this is a movie that was informed by this. Now we're going to see a movie that was doing its own thing at a studio that wasn't as calculating by a storyteller that may or may not be as good. Let's talk about this. Do you have a favorite of the X-Men movies that you would choose as, as the double feature? I am torn if we're keeping it just X-Men and like obviously leaving out things like Deadpool and like the Wolverine movies, which are, you know, I would be torn between X-Men 2 and Days of Future Past. Okay. Okay. I would probably say 2. I think 2 was where they got, where they they were kind of clicking on all cylinders. By the time they get to Days of Future Past, they're, they're kind of teetering. Like they're, Mm -hmm. they're doing a lot of interesting things, but they're, they're really teetering on too much because that was when they packaged the old ones back in with the new ones. Okay, so another movie I think would make a really good double feature. It's actually a movie, I, I actually watch it once a year. This is this is kind of me being a twerp. But my go-to movie on American Thanksgiving is to watch Terrence Malick's New World. Oh, I've never seen that. It's kind of underexposed it's not it was it it came out in between his comeback of the thin red line and him going away for a while and then coming back with the tree of life and then he really went to some weird places terrence malick telling the pocahontas story and Mm -hmm. what i love about that movie is that movie and Eternals really has a common language in terms of the visual. Um, you can see, you can see Malik's influence on Chloe Zhao's photography, but not in a way that she's copying. Like she shoots her movies her way. Um, you know, like she has her own visual language that's informed by several filmmakers before her. And I think that Malik is certainly one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very in touch with the natural world. Um, they're very uh, interested in capturing its its beauty and certainly its beauty in places that you do, don't even always expect. You know, like I think when it, when we went back to Nomadland, there was a lot of really, really cinematic uh, visuals in that movie that, you know, ordinarily you wouldn't think twice if you were seeing them out your car window. Um, the New World is the one that kind of has the most interest in America that way. Um, Tree of Life is is as interested, but it kind of goes to some weirder places. But New World, um, again, kind of very American beauty. Um, another story where there's a question of whether or not they are there to do the right thing, because you've got John Smith landing in America and interacting with the natives and 
you know, are we really here to take over this land kind of thing? And it's all handled in a very, very understated way. Um, yeah, I think if nothing else, like you could watch the two movies on mute and just like let your eyes just feast. Um, and I think they'd make a good double feature. Awesome. So give it a watch if you haven't had a chance. Um, and you said you had one more comic book movie to go along with Eternals. What do you got? Um, so I think I'm going to change it up and go for a performance, um, reason and go with Angelina Jolie and pick the changeling. Um, okay. I know, like, again, I feel like those kinds of movies definitely aren't everyone's cup of tea per se. Angelina Jolie does a very good job at playing like whatever vulnerability happens to be happening for her character in whatever movie that she's in. And I believe recently in an interview with Eternals, she was talking about um, how she was glad to like join the like Marvel family. Um, but she felt as though Chloe picked some of these characters for some of the cast because it was basically supposed to bring out like things within them that either she had noticed herself or things like that. And she said something, very interesting where she was talking about you know tapping in to the character of Thena made her tap into like her own trauma and her own damages that she had and I feel like that's definitely something you can see also with her performance in the changeling so I thought that would be interesting uh, I can't really believe how deeply I've fallen out with Clint Eastwood as a director um mm-hmm. for a minute there I was just so in love with everything he did and then i don't know if it's just he got older and started making some weird stuff or it was just always there and i didn't notice but um changeling was right around the time that he and i had our falling out um that movie is fantastic that movie is in no rush and has nothing but time for this woman's trauma and Angelina owns that trauma in the movie. Like she is really, really frail in that movie in this kind of great depression, 1930s kind of way. Um, She is obviously really fraught because here is us, the story of a mother who has lost her child and the government is trying to tell her, no, you didn't. The, The government is trying to tell her you're crazy and go so far as to lock her up. And that's, you know, the more time goes on and the more I've, I've come across this in various different stories and various different pieces of nonfiction, um, the world really needs to reckon with how much we used to lock women away if they disagreed, right? Like if, they, if their account of the truth was inconvenient or if their depression was inconvenient, it would the the answer was just well send them somewhere, and she really gets to the heart of that in that movie. Um, you know her. You're right. Her her trauma, Estina, um, is really really fascinating to see, um, and she is she's shown a few times over her career that she's not afraid to really take on the trauma of of the women who have come before her in life. It's one of my favorite parts of Eternals. I mean, if we had more of that, I would have been, you know, maybe I would have thrown the four at it instead of a three and a half. But who's to say? Um, But yeah, I think that's why I think it would be an interesting 
um, double feature because you would get something where obviously Eternals, you do see the trauma. It is there. It's not, you know, the sole focus of the movie, but it'd be interesting to kind of pair it with the performance in Changeling to actually see, you know, perhaps if it was, you know, just Athena led movie, what audiences may have kind of experienced. That is the one thing I'm, I take away the most from Eternals is this is a story about characters who have seen some shit, you Mm -hmm. know, like all of, even as, as, as absolutely jokey as Kingo is the rest of this cast, the rest of these characters, because they've been around for 7,000 years, they have just seen so much and they are taking so much upon themselves. And this movie really takes pains to make us, to make us understand just how much they've seen, you know, like a movie like changeling where it's about a woman who has seen the abduction of her child and is now trying to push forward in ways that may or may not have been told for how many women, you know, back in that time. So that's, that's a good one. That's a movie I haven't thought about in a minute. And, and even though me and Clint aren't on good terms these days, that's one that I definitely go back to. Um, That's some great uh, other sides. Thank you so much for those. Um, And that is episode 270 of the matinee cast. I'm so thankful that Brittany Murphy was able to come back and spend a second episode with us this year. Um, Come back on Monday, November 22nd for episode 273. I'm not entirely sure what we're going to talk about yet, but we might talk about Belfast, the new movie by Kenneth Branagh. Um, Brittany's work is all over the place. You can read her at um, Geeks of Color, Screen Queens, POC Culture, Comic Book Debate, and The Real Roundup. Um, Anything coming up that you want to plug? Um, My review for Eternals will probably be up on Screen Queens by then. So if you want to read my review, which I will keep spoiler free for everyone, um, that will be on Screen Queens. So you can definitely check that out. Um, And that's probably it. And if people want to follow you on Twitter, where can they find you? They can find me um, on Twitter at Brittany Murphs, uh, B-R-I-T-A-N-Y underscore M-U-R-P-H-S. Very nice. My site is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them in the old familiar places, Google, Apple, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Stitcher Radio, Blueberry, and you can also find them in some new places, TuneIn, Radio Public, CastBox, and Podchaser. Everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. Also, if you have a podcast platform of choice and my show's not there, let me know. I'm more than happy to put it there. Feedback on Eternals or any of the other movies that we talked about today can be left in the comments section of the site. You can email ryan at thematinee.ca on Twitter. I am matinee underscore CA or there's always Facebook or whatever they're calling themselves these days. Facebook.com slash dark matinee. Any final thoughts before we go? Other than I think people should give this movie a try. I mean, I feel like even people who may not, you know, really like comic book movies would definitely like this one because as we've said earlier, it's not, you know, your typical, like, let's destroy New York kind of thing. Um, So I feel like even people who don't really like those movies would definitely, you know, find some things to like about this one. I'm with you. Just, you know, leave your baggage at the door and and enjoy the ride and try to get in touch with some of these characters and capes and silly tights. For Brittany, I'm Ryan. I'll see you at the matinee.